G'day, my name is Adam Draycott, and you are watching the online ministry from St. Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. Uh, this has been prepared for the 12th of February, 2023. Our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 31. Lord, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Let's have a time of praise.
Our collect prayer, let us pray. God our Father, you have promised to remain forever with those whose faith is anchored in Jesus. Help us to live in your presence. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, now I know what's coming as in the preaching of God's Word, and that is an incredible colleague prayer. Um, incredible. Our Bible readings. We come to the ministry of God's Word. Uh, two Bible readings today. Psalm 114. And the second reading is from Acts chapter 6, verse 15, right through to chapter 8, uh, verse 1a. Just that first sentence there. Uh, it's a big chunk of scripture. Uh, but if you take the time to pause, uh, read and reflect, and then engage with uh, the preaching of God's word, I'm sure uh, you will feel blessed on account of your time in God's word. So let me pray to that end. Father God, as we open up the scriptures, be at work by your spirit. Uh, point us time and time again to the glory and wonder that is your son, Jesus. May we learn what it means to exalt him as we seek to grow in Christ uh, so that you are glorified above all else. We ask for your help in this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with a quiz. Do you remember Jack Nicholson uh, as Colonel Nathan Jessup? Uh, the military courtroom, he's in the stand and he says, you want answers? And the prosecutor says, I think I'm entitled. And he says, you want answers? And the prosecutor says, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson says... You can't handle the truth. It's so good. Uh, what movie is it? Do you know? There's a prize. I don't know how I'll get it to you, but if you know it, call it out. A Few Good Men is the answer. Absolute classic. Uh, don't you love a good courtroom drama? Well, this is Acts chapter 7, if you like. Forget A Few Good Men. Uh, this has got it in spades over that. This is way better, so it's good for us to be in God's Word. Uh, we're going to pick the story up at the end of chapter 6 because context is important. So look at verse 15. All who are sitting in the Sanhedrin, that's the Jewish ruling council, remember, uh, they looked intently at Stephen. Uh, show me your intently face. Uh, and they saw that his face was like the ray... Uh, his face was like the face of an angel. So he's radiating with God's blessing like Moses did back in the day. It's got to be a clue, right? And then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? Lovely question. What are the charges? Well, we need to recap verse 14 of chapter 6. Apparently, Stephen said, one, Jesus will destroy the temple, and two, that Jesus will change the customs of Moses. And as you listen to Stephen's reply, can you detect a strategy? Notice his first words show respect. Uh, brothers and fathers. So he's connecting himself and them to a common ancestor, Abraham. Notice the material he use, uses is familiar to his audience. 
it's anchored in Old Testament Scripture. So to those who don't rate the Old Testament, if you're watching, uh, Stephen isn't with you at all. He'd be like, what are you talking about? It's God's story. God's word is the authority he uses to engage in these charges. You've got to notice that. It's a good strategy, isn't it? Open your Bible. Notice Stephen wants to go big. What? What do you mean he wants to go big? He wants to go big. They're going to fire up about Moses. Stephen's going to say, well, what about all the patriarchs? Boom, 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 boom. Why limit or narrow your issues to Moses? Go bigger, people. As they moan about the temple, Stephen's strategy is the same. Why limit the glory of God? Because that's the issue. Why limit the glory of God to a building? You guys need to go bigger, seriously. And so as Stephen goes bigger, let's talk about the patriarchs. Stephen shows the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, that God's deliverers are consistently rejected by Israel. Remember Joseph? Look, you can see Joseph in verse 9 and his brothers. They're the 12 that are the beginnings of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's right. And so about Joseph, verse 9, because the patriarchs, that's his brothers, were jealous of Joseph, because they were, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. He was a really annoying little brother. So they got rid of him, rejected. Joseph sold as a slave but when they saw him later, the next time, he would be revealed eventually as their deliverer. Got to see that pattern. Rejection, deliverer. What about Moses? Was he rejected by his people? Well, look at verse 25. He sure was. Uh, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. <laughs> Uh, the next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Man, you're brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Uh, I think I've heard that in the playground. Rejected, right? But when they see him the next time, Moses is the deliverer. Look at verse 35. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. And how did that go? He comes a second time. He has another run at being the deliverer. How does it go? Verse 37. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt in their hearts. That's where their hearts were. Rejected again. They brush Moses aside in favour of an idol, a lifeless statue, the golden calf, verse 41, Stephen mentions it. And now true to form, just as the previous leadership of Israel rejected the prophets and these patriarchs, 
Now, if you look at verse 52, the Sanhedrin, Stephen's going to say, well, you've, you've rejected God's righteous one. You've rejected him too. Which is ironic, isn't it? Because the one spoken of by Moses as the prophet, the one you cherish, Moses, points to a prophet, you rejected him. That's ironic. Deuteronomy 18, 15, if you want to cross-reference. Now, if the pattern is rejection and then deliverance, can we expect to see the righteous one again? See? See the strategy now? Oh, the one you brushed off, ultimately worse, the one you murdered, executed, uh, you're going to see him again. And that's a massive implication right there. That's going to be... If they're joining the dots, that's going to be breathtaking. Which must mean that the biggest mistake in history is to give Jesus the brush off, to dismiss him and reject him, because to reject Jesus is to reject God. And he's coming back. And when he comes back, man alive, you want to be friends with him. You don't want to be the people that have brushed him aside. You want to be able to welcome him and receive him as your deliverer and saviour. The biggest mistake in history is to give Jesus the brush off, to dismiss him and reject him. In fact, for Christ's sake, all unworthy ambitions and hopes and dreams and goals, they, they should be brushed aside. Not Jesus. All right. The temple. Let's talk about the temple. That was the other charge. Israel has turned Herod's temple into an idol. The prophet Isaiah specifically taught that God cannot be localized in a building. You can see that. That's where verses 48, 49, 50 come from or thereabouts. It comes from Isaiah 66. So look at verse 48. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says, this is Isaiah, heaven is my home and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Is there a psalm that reads similar? I don't know. The Lord God is on the move. You need to see that. And we see it in verse 2 of chapter 7. There is God in Mesopotamia... And where's that, you say? Well, Mesopotamia is bounded by the Euphrates and Tigris rivers, part of what is known as modern-day Iraq. Not, not limited to, but, you know, over there. And what is God doing there? Verse 2, the glory of God appeared to Abraham, where God made big promises to him. Genesis 12 is worth a look. Or what else is God doing? Verse 9, he's with Joseph. Where was Joseph? He's in Egypt. Right, that's a long way away. God's with him too. God rescued him and blessed him. You get the idea now? Verse 30. Yeah, he even appeared in the desert to Moses, the burning bush story. You guys know that, surely. I think this is the implication. Verse 33, the Lord says to Moses, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. It's holy because God is there. That's the idea. Get the strategy. You know, you've got to think bigger. God is on the move. And he cannot be contained to one place. He won't be put in a box and walled in. 
a building. But God is not like that. Your God is too small. Israel, verse 41. They made that calf, remember? Moses came down, boom, golden calf, terrible. And Israel would later make a temple, verse 47. You go, when is that ever going to go well? The tabernacle, and then later the temple became human attempts to constrain God, contain God, to hem him in and manipulate God, I think. But Stephen is saying the true God, he's not static, he's not localised. Look at your history, he is with his people. Stephen reminds us of truths we heard last week. You know, where is God? The answer, remember, it's not Herod's temple. God is still with his people. And today, this side of the cross, we call it the church, don't we? And who is the chief cornerstone? That's right, it's Jesus. In Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Ephesians 2, 21 to 22. You too are the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's being built. One courtroom drama that Tanya and I tune into sometimes is called Bull. Every episode we meet the accused. And by the end, the story is being flipped and turned upside down and the bad guy turns out to be the good guy and the good guy is the bad guy. Every time, there's six seasons of it. But we like it. The old switcheroo, the old roles are reversed. Didn't see that coming every time. Stephen here is doing a Dr. Bull. How? Well, because if God is everywhere, as he's clearly said, if God is empowering, if God is at work and all present and merciful, if God is like that, tell me, who are the real blasphemers of Moses and God? Yeah. See the switcheroo I just did? Or Stephen just did? Stephen, as he speaks, sounds and acts more like a prosecuting attorney. I want the truth. Rather than the accused. Stephen is now delivering charges. Israel, their leadership, the Sanhedrin, they're the ones in the box now. And this is the flashpoint. So we pick it up at verse 51. The flashpoint. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Ah, stiff-necked and uncircumcised. They're Gentile descriptions, so the whole brothers and fathers now, well, <laughs> so much for that. He says, you guys got no excuse. He's talking to them now like they're unbelievers. They're on the outside. No excuse. Why? Well, you brushed Joseph aside and you sidelined Moses twice and you killed the prophets and you killed the prophet, the Lord Jesus, and you did all it. All of this despite great privileges. 
great privileges of promise and covenants, promise keeping between God and between Creator and Israel. It's incredible. Verse 53 You have received the law that was given through the angels, you have not obeyed it. See, despite great privileges. Or verse 52, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. Stephen charges Israel with brushing aside all of God's messengers. And finally brushing aside God himself revealed as the righteous one. Great mistake to reject Jesus. Of course, the biggest challenge to Moses and the law was indeed Jesus. He was the Sabbath breaker. He declared all foods clean, remember? Bacon! He touched lepers and he openly associated with sinners. And the biggest challenge to the temple was Jesus. He purged the temple. He he preached that it was all coming down. That's true. But he also taught that he was the true temple, that he is the meeting place between God and, and humans, that he is now the centre of worship. And he's tipped it all on its head, hasn't he? And now the ruling council, the prosecutor, the judge, what do they now have left? they got nothing. Oh, they've got guilt. They've got guilt and lots of anger. Lots of anger. Look at verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. What? I don't know what that looks like. Uh, you can try it in the mirror, but it, it sounds wicked and demonic even. 57b, they're all rushing at him. Verse 58, they've dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And they've taken it all into their own hands. But who turns up in verse 55? Do you see it? Remember the one who was rejected, the righteous one, turns up to deliver Stephen. Isn't that beautiful? And he's getting his Daniel 7 on, if you know what that means. Here is an act of the risen Christ. Verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Notice he's not sitting, he's standing. I think to stand is the posture of welcome uh, and, and being ready to receive. Hard to welcome people sitting down. Have you noticed that? Get up, stand up, welcome them. Standing to welcome the first Christian martyr. Does this also not speak to the great Christian hope that we will see Jesus when our time comes? Can you imagine what it will be like to be welcomed by the Saviour? He's standing up for you and waiting. And the one who was rejected will return and he will bring about an ultimate deliverance. This is our hope. This is our hope right here. Can you imagine it? It's good to pause and reflect on that. Now, Stephen, is he not like his saviour? Think, both arrested, 
both interrogated by the Sanhedrin. Same charges, Mark 14, verse 58. It's like a copy. Stephen, the servant from the kitchen. Jesus took on the nature of a servant, Philippians 2. Look at verse 59. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's what Jesus said on the cross. What does Stephen say? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Said Jesus on the cross. Stephen prays, Lord, do not hold this against them. Verse 60. <laughs> what else? Well, they both died. Publicly murdered, executed. In service to the Heavenly Father the Godhead and so I've said this before what goes for Jesus goes for all who follow him follow him it's a an application we keep saying but maybe this is where we need to pause and go but you know Adam we keep hearing that maybe there's some disconnect like maybe I mean we sit here comfortably thinking it's inconceivable that our experience would be like Stephen's and I want to say, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I do hear that. And oh, persecution certainly looked violent back then, didn't it? But tell that to open doors. Uh, was it last century more people died on account of their Christian faith than any other? I'm certain that statistic is true. And so it's good for us here at St. Augustine's, we partner with Open Doors. We focus on them every year. And we must pray for the persecuted church. They're part of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. When one part of the body suffers, all the other parts suffer with it. So there's that truth. Then we go, okay, but what about Australia? And I'll say, well... <laughs> No one's throwing rocks at us, but the spiritual battle is there. There's plenty of Christians who have been brushed aside, vilified, lost their jobs or taken to court over their stance on things like same-sex marriage or gender issues. You can ask someone by the name of Andrew Thorburn if you've heard of him or Christopher Brennan if you've heard of him or ask Christian schools that are finding themselves under enormous pressure at the moment. Can God's messengers expect safe passage in our world? No. What are you talking about? But maybe we need to think a bit more about Stephen. I mean, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your soul, well, Stephen can say amen to that, can't he? Amen, says Stephen, but can we? In light of Stephen, can we, do we love Jesus like Stephen did? There's a question. And is that why there's a disconnect, a gap? Will you serve and witness and give it all like Stephen did? And you're sitting there going, oh, crikey, not if it means death by stoning. And that's the answer, isn't it? Indeed. See, as we consider Stephen, how much of a cost will we bear for the cause of the gospel? How much discomfort is acceptable for you? I mean, again, the law of love. Love the Lord your God with how much? All 
when framed by Stephen here, it exposes my spiritual poverty. Wretched sinner am I. Here is the last thing, I promise. You cannot miss this lesson in forgiveness. As Stephen prays, don't hold it against them. Uh, who is converted in chapter 9? What's his name? The bloke? Is he here in this story giving approval and to this execution and clapping people on. Is his name, verse 58, his name's Saul. Chapter 8, verse 1, his name is Saul. You're told twice. It's a clue. And isn't it incredible then, that as we hear Stephen pray, Lord, don't hold it against them. And then we go to chapter, and there's Stephen. And then in chapter 9, he's converted. That is some answer to prayer, isn't it? That is some answer to prayer. Of course, the words of Jesus ring true. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Stephen can say amen to that. Again, I want to ask you, can you? Can we? Who do you need to forgive at the moment? Who do you need to forgive at the moment? Whom do you deem unworthy of your prayers? Who will you never, ever pray for? Who have you brushed off? I want to ask you, will you commit to praying for them? Praying good things for them? Remember Jesus taught us to pray. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And again, Stephen can say amen to that. But again, what is your capacity for forgiveness like? Jesus has a warning, Matthew 6.14. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I mean, of course, you get it. You get grace. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I mean, how on earth is he able to? But let me close with 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Stephen Shaw did. May it be true for us. Amen.
things, write things down, be disciplined and have a thank you list. There's lots to be thankful to God, um, I pray. Pray in light of what we've heard in the scriptures. There was encouragements there as you heard it explained. Pray in light of that. Um, Lord, here's an example. Lord, help me to love my enemies. Lord, I don't want to. But soften my heart that I would start praying for my enemies, particularly ex. There's a pray. Do that. Um, that's a godly, Christ-like thing to do. Christ-honouring thing to do. Uh, there it is. Uh, in the life of this church, we have parish council meeting uh, on Monday night. Uh, we've got the Newmans coming to visit as well. We've got people on our sick list that I know deeply value your prayers, our prayers. So please commit them to the Lord. Lots to be praying about. If you need help, there'll be a blue screen. And if you want to give because you love the Lord and uh, you love his word and you value this ministry, there's uh, information about direct giving at the end of this video. May God bless you and may God keep you. Amen. We're not alone, for Christ is here. Emmanuel, our God, come near. We're not alone, for to our world, Jesus has come, eternal word. And as he speaks, our souls laid bare.
Christ is with us. 